Romans six fifteen to 23. What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that you offered that if you offer yourself to someone as an obedient slave, you are a slave of that one you obey, either to sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God, although you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart the pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. I am using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For as you offered parts of yourself as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So now what fruit was produced from what from the things you are now ashamed of. The outcome of those things is death. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, so going to be in Romans 6. We're uh, continuing, uh, working our way through Romans. Um, I, I particularly like Romans 6, 7, and 8. There's some good stuff right there. Some good stuff right there. Um, I just want to uh, pray a prayer over you guys from Ephesians 3. Um, a prayer asking God to help us to understand. Let's pray. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through the Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right, let's dig in the text, guys. Let's dig in the text. We're going to start uh, with verse 15. And with this question, he actually is repeating uh, the question in a slightly different way from the last time. And he says, what then? Should we sin because we are not under the law, but under, under grace? Absolutely not. In other words, is grace a license to sin? Because God gives us grace, because he offers us forgiveness of sins through Christ Jesus, does that mean that we can do whatever we want? And Paul says again, no, that is not what it means. But before we get into the nitty gritty, we need to understand What does it mean to live under the law? And what does it mean to live under grace? Let's just pause there and ask ourselves a question. What does that literally mean? So what does it mean to live under the law? 
there, there's a particular way of living that, that living under the law means. And what it means is this, is that there is a law, there is a standard that is good, that is a righteous and good standard given by God. And in the Old Testament, we see this kind of agreement. The agreement is simple. Do this and live. Do the law and it'll go well for you. Which like sounds like a, I feel like a good agreement, yeah? Do the good stuff and it'll be good. You know, like it's essentially what living under the law means. But here is the problem. Can we do that? Can we do that? The scripture and even your own experience will say, well, not all the time. <laughs> we can't always do that. We, we, we're not always understanding exactly what is right and then doing it. A lot of times you'll, you'll ask somebody, hey, why did you do that bad thing? And if they say, I didn't know, most times that's not true. Like <laughs> Most of the times they knew. It's like, well, yeah, I was tripping. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, not, it's not a lack of knowledge. Even if, if people haven't heard something from the text of Scripture, the Bible says that God's law is actually written on our hearts, that we have an inner witness of what is right and wrong. And we intuitively know that if we do good, it will be good for us. Yet the Scripture also says that we are born into sin. Not only that, here, here's the, the real nitty-gritty. We don't want to do it because we don't want to do it, right? Like, like you can make a, a ton of excuses about why you didn't do this good thing. Uh, well, because it's because it's, but at, at the root of it, it's because you didn't want to. The same is true for me. When I make a decision to do something that is contrary to God's law, at the root of it is because I did not want to. And so this agreement, living under the law, it, the agreement in itself isn't bad. It makes sense. It should be okay that if you do the good stuff, it'll go well for you. But the reality is that we can't, and not only we can't, we don't always want to do the good. That's right. Which means that we live under the law it means that we have this sense of estrangement from God. Like we may hear about God and we might know about God, but when we live under the law because of our failure to keep the law, we don't have a relationship with God. You know, when I first started walking with Jesus and I was, I was in high school and I was trying to figure out like how to talk to my friends about Jesus. And what I'm about to tell you, you don't, you shouldn't necessarily copy. I'm just telling you what I used to do. You know, like I, I would go to people and I'd be like, I'm like, because a lot of times you say, you know about Jesus. Well, yeah. Like, you know, that, that wasn't really getting at the heart. And so I would be like, how are you and Jesus doing? They were really like, what kind of question is that? But the heart of the question was, it wasn't a question about what do you know in your head? The, the, the question is, do, do, like, do you have a relationship with him? Like, when, when I say his name, does that, does that bring warmth to your heart? Are, are, am I talking about a person or about a subject? Some, something that I would study versus something that, that I would interact with. See, the reality is that when we live under the law, we are estranged from God. And though we might know him as a subject matter of discussion, we don't know him in any personal way. Not only is there estrangement, there's guilt. Here's the interesting thing about guilt. I don't 
people don't always have to make you feel guilty, right? You can be guilty all by yourself. It's not like people are like, now sometimes that happens, but sometimes when you do something bad in that moment, you're like, dad, I can't believe I just did that. Sometimes we feel as though we missed the mark because, because the, the, the function of living under the law is actually kind of intrinsic to how we feel. And so when we miss the mark, we feel the guilt of that and we feel so much pressure to get it right. Not only is there estrangement and guilt, there's shame. This is, this is one of the reasons why we're so secretive. We don't want people to really know who we are. We're afraid of people knowing who we are because if they knew about us like we know about us, we don't know what they would say. We have a fear of rejection if the truth about our weaknesses and failures gets out. So along with estrangement, guilt, and shame, we have fear. You're like, fear of what? Ultimately, we're afraid of death. We're afraid of death and judgment. That's why we don't ever want to talk about it. We don't ever really want to, like, it'll happen one day. We all know that. But let's not talk about it. There's this weird, like, I, I, I'm on Twitter a lot, okay? I don't know. It's just what I do. And there's, just, there's this one Twitter account, and it's like, it, it, it's called Your Daily Death Reminder. And it says the same thing every day. It says, you will die someday. That's, and it says the same thing every day, which on, on one sense, I'm like, that's kind of morbid, man. Like, dang. But then I was reading the Psalms and it says, uh, actually, you, you should keep that in mind so that you live right. Because <laughs> it is indeed coming. And, and if the, this fear of death is actually a fear of judgment. It's this, this symptom of us living under the law and not doing what the law says. So that's what it means to live under the law. But, it, but, but the scripture says you don't live under the law. There is something else you live under. You live under grace. So what does it mean to live under grace? It's like the exact opposite. Instead of estrangement from God, we have reconciliation with God. Not simply knowing like some facts about God, but when we meet Christ and we're brought under the reign of grace, we know God on a personal level, that we would have communion and friendship with God. Not only that, he replaces our guilt with forgiveness. There's a scripture that says, it says, blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. Another word for, for blessed is happy. I don't know if you've ever felt like you needed to apologize to somebody and you were wondering what they were going to say. And when you apologize and when you heard the statement, I forgive you, how did that make you feel? You, you're like, oh, whew. thank you. <laughs> Beloved, that's the feeling that we can have every day under grace. See, he replaces our shame with belonging. We have this deep fear that, that maybe God wouldn't, wouldn't want us. But listen, instead of shame, we have a belonging, not just that he tolerates you, but that he makes you his family. And listen, if your family member is dodging you or is missing, will you go and find them? I hope yes. <laughs> See, good family searches for another. It's like, it's like when Adam sins in the garden and, and God is walking. And what does he say? Where are you? Beloved, we don't have estrangement. We don't have to live in, sh in shame. But God himself pursues us when we are under grace. And he replaces 
our fear with hope. We learn that under, under grace, he doesn't have these plans to judge us. He has these good plans, these good plans to bless us. So much so that I don't, maybe I live a weird life, but there's some times where I'm like, I feel like I'm in danger. You know, I might be walking around in the street doing some evangelism, and I go, well, what's the worst case scenario? The worst case scenario is I die. But then I go be with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when we live under grace, we have reconciliation, we have forgiveness, we have belonging, and we have hope. And the question is, because since that is a reality for us in Christ, should that lead us to sin? And even as you think about it, you're like, well, probably not. You know, like, no, absolutely not. Listen, we have this beautiful reality of friendship with God, of belonging, of forgiveness, this beautiful reality. And when we, who have the opportunity to live under grace, decide to live like we're under the law, that's like us choosing to live in the dump when we have a room in the palace. That doesn't make sense. And so Paul gets to the degree. Okay, well, how, how is it do I experience the reality of living under grace? Look at verse 16. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? In other words, he says you have this choice of the type of life that you want to live. Now, this, like, I want you to step back. This is, not, about, this is not, not so much about eternal judgment. This is about the experience of your life as a Christian. Okay? So if I lead a sinful life, it leads to the experience of death. We already recorded what that's like. Isolation, guilt, fear, shame. If you, live, if you name the name of Christ and your daily experience is one of these things, then the, th- the question you have to ask yourself is, am I living under the reality of grace? But then he says, if you live in obedience, that leads to righteousness. Now, I don't know if that sounds like good news to you, but when you know somebody who is a righteous person, it kind of makes you want to be around them. A person who enacts justice, you want to be around. It's like you have these two choices. Even though you can live under grace, the experience of your life. The, the, if you actually experience the benefits of that grace is dependent on what you choose to do. We can look at verse 17 and see that God delivered us from slavery of sin. It says, but thank God. Like he's saying, it don't got to be like what I just said. But thank God, although you used to be slaves of sin, You obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. He's saying that God has done something. So not only that you don't have to live with the future consequences of sin, but you don't have to live present tense under the slavery of sin. We can see that God has intervened 
on our behalf. See, God saw us. God the Father saw us under this the slavery to sin, the shame and this fear, and he had compassion. And God the Son came to earth, and he lived the perfect life, and he died in our place, and he rose again. And beloved, if you name the name of Christ, God the Spirit has come inside of you and made the realities of the teachings true to you. He's saying that the obedience to the gospel leads to justification and to freedom. So when we decide not to live in the freedom of obedience, it's like we look at the person who just set us free, and they're saying, come with me. And you're like, well, maybe I shouldn't know. Maybe I'll just go over there. That don't make no Like, he just set you free. Why would you not follow him? Obviously, he is wise. You're like, no, I'm going to just make it up on my own. He's the one with our freedom papers. He's the one that can set out the new life for us very clear. And when we say I'm a sin, it's like, well, thanks, but I'm, a, I'm glad you did that thing over there. But today, I'm going to do what I want to do. Here's the interesting thing. He says, says it, it, he really only leaves you two options. You can be enslaved to sin or enslaved to righteousness. Now, enslaved to righteousness, you're still like, but it says slave, though. You're like, oh, no. Now, listen, I, I'm reading the biography of Frederick Douglass right now. And it talks about his, his battle to escape slavery, to live in freedom. And what's interesting is when he escaped freedom, from slavery, he became a slave to the movement of abolition. He spent all his waking hours speaking about abolition, all his waking hours saying, I got to get them free. He's traveled around nonstop. See, listen, listen, he was set free, but he became a servant to a higher ideal. That is what is given to us. That at one point we had allegiance to evil, but now we can have allegiance and serve that which is good. That it is an honor and a good thing to be a slave of righteousness. Look at verse 19. He says, I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. You see, Paul just wants to make it plain. He wants to make it plain. He says, for just as you offer the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. He talks about the importance of figurative language. Because when we're talking about God, we're, we're, we're talking about one who is more lofty than, than we are, infinitely wiser, ultimately good. When you talk about the things of God and you don't use an analogy, you, you don't even know how to describe it. But what's, what's beautiful is Paul saying that God has given us creation so that he can communicate to us spiritual realities. This is what I mean. In one sense, you can see creation as God's canvas. I know there's some of y'all that's going to go hiking today. When you look around and see the beauty, you can see something of, of the mastermind behind that beauty. It lets you know something about his, his righteousness, something about his power. But not only is creation a canvas, creation is an icon. An icon is a picture, but it's not just a picture. It's a picture that communicates a spiritual reality. And this is how I can tell you that creation is an icon because every word that we have to describe God comes from creation. He's a father. Where do you get that from? Jesus Christ is the son. Where do you get that from? 
right? He, like he sets us free from slavery. See, see, creation, listen, everything was created to show us some truth about God. The things that you enjoy are actually uh, indicative of something that God is trying to tell you about. The beauty of the institution of marriage wasn't made just so that you could be happy. It's so that when God uses the analogy that Jesus is the perfect bridegroom for his bride, you'd have some sort of conception of who Jesus is. That everything that was created, listen, listen, here's the craziest thing. Even things that God has allowed that have evil in them, he can still turn them around and tell us something good about himself. Beloved God is screaming at us through his creation that we would see something of the goodness of his son. Now, Paul goes on to explain is, listen, if you continue to offer your body to sin, it increases your own sinfulness. So it's like you want to live, you want to live under the grace. But if you keep dedicating your body to sin, what it does is it sears your conscience. Now, if you do something bad and you have like a, like a, 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 a high level of conscience, you'll feel kind of bad. But if you continue to do that thing over and over, you feel less bad. You feel less bad. You feel, listen, one of, the most, like, one of the most scary things that can happen to a Christian is that his conscience is seared. That means that you are enslaved to the degree that it does not bother you. But he says, but, but, but instead, if you offer yourself to righteousness, that it would lead to greater sanctification. Now, sanctification is the gradual growing righteousness made possible by the Spirit's work in us. It's being made more like Christ. So he's saying you can live under grace and you can continue to follow Christ, and he can make your character better and better and better as you offer yourself to him to do the things that are righteous. In verse 20, he gives even more reasons to follow after righteousness. It says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? The outcome of these things is death. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification. And the outcome is eternal life. He says, look, when you live in a life of sin, you are not under obligation towards righteousness. I remember how it was. I just did what I wanted to do. And if I felt like there was a righteous option, I was like, I'm good. <laughs> I have no obligation to that. I'm doing what I want to do. But then he goes, but do you remember what it produced? Do you, do you remember what the works of unrighteousness produced in you? Do you remember what the works of unrighteousness produced around you? Did it not produce death? Did it not produce shame? When we look at the brokenness of this world, what we are seeing is the fruit of sin. And God's saying, listen, you already know what that leads to. You want to go do that? You want to go back to that? He says, no, choose to be enslaved to God. Because that results in holiness and Christ-likeness and in good for you and in good for those around you. And he says, listen, listen, the outcome of these things is eternal life. Now, when you think about eternal life, you're probably thinking about when you die. 
And, and it certainly does mean that, but, but if you were in Christ, eternal life starts right now. It's life with God under the benevolent rule of God. That you have access to his benefits, his presence, his goodness, his blessing right now. And he's saying, listen, if you offer your members to righteousness, you get to live under the good reign of God right now. Or you can go do what you used to be ashamed about. Now, when it's presented like that, it's like, well, which one is better? You know, <laughs> in verse 20, he encourages us to receive the gift of God over the wage of death. Verse 20, says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, he's like, listen, sin is like going to work. And I, when you go to work, you get paid, right? Hopefully. Hopefully. But you go into work. Now, what, kind, what you get paid with when you, when you go to work for sin? Death. <laughs> when you go to work for sin, you get what you earned. Now, you can go and work for sin, and maybe you think it's fun at the time, but then when payday comes, there's death. There's isolation. There's fear. There's shame. That's what you get. Now, listen. This is very important. Do you see how it doesn't make sense to say, I believe in Christ. I believe that he rose uh, from the dead. I believe that he died for my sins, but I'm going to go work for this other person over here who pays me junk, who pays me debt. That doesn't make sense. So when someone says to me, well, because of grace, I can go and do what I want. I'm like, but, but why? For what? What you going to get? You like that? No, you don't. <laughs> you don't like it. It don't make no sense. So it, it doesn't make sense to say, well, because God's grace, I can do what? No. That, that, what? How does that compute? Like, I could go get steak or I could eat ramen noodles. Let me get them noodles. He'd be like, bro, come on, man. Like, that don't make sense. I mean, I guess you could, but would, would you miss the steak? Probably later. You'd be hungry. Now, that's all I'm saying. Like, that's, that's, the, like, like, that's the choices that you have as a Christian. And so it is a silly and foolish thing to say because of grace, I can then go and do this, that, or the other. That is an illogical decision. And if you are my brother and my sister, you need to point that out to me when I'm doing it. It don't have to be judgment. You'd be like, but fam, for real though, do you want to do that? Is that how you, that's how you want to roll? Remember how you used to be ashamed? You remember how it ain't worked so well for you? But then you have this eternal life, this goodness, this peace from God that you could experience. You know, there's some moments when, you know, there, okay, there's, also, there's moments when I, when I fail temptation and I feel guilty. But then there's those moments when I'm tempted and the Spirit gives me power to overcome. And I don't know if y'all know that moment. But that moment, you're like, mm, that felt good. You know what I'm saying? Like, you feel a little bit of joy. You're like, yeah. <laughs> I overcame that thing. And then, then like, the, that, see that feeling? That's eternal life. That, that's what it is. That joy, that peace, that freedom. That's what that is. And so you can feel that. Or you can be locked in the cave of shame. Beloved, that's the choice. That's the choice. So he's like, you've been working. You work hard for sin. You get death. But here's the craziest thing. There's, there's a justification. He didn't, he, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't say you can work hard and then get eternal life. That's not what it says, right? It don't say that. He says, but the, you can work hard for that, or, or you can get this gift. 
You can work hard and receive that, or you can receive this gift of God's present activity in your life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It was given as a gift. I don't know if you've ever given somebody a gift and seen them like throw it away. I've, I got kids. I haven't seen it. I just, I just got that for you. Throw it on the ground. It make you feel some kind of way, don't it? You'd be like, well, I'm saving my money. Now, praise God, the Father's not like that. But it doesn't make sense to receive a precious gift and treat it like trash. And Paul's saying, you can go work for sin or you can receive that good gift. And not only that, somebody gives you a gift, not just for that moment that you give the gift, but so that you can enjoy it. So that days and months and years will go by and you could still enjoy the gift that that person purchased for you. So Christian, you have this decision. You can go work for sin or you can enjoy the gift of righteousness from Christ. So the question that we all have to ask ourselves is, is, is do we want to enjoy the benefits of living under grace? Because here's the thing. It's, it's your choice. It's what you want to do. Or do we want to live under the tyranny of sin? The, the way that we decide that is that either we present our body as servants to righteousness or not. Now, listen, when I say lofty language like present your body as servants to righteousness, I don't know what you got in your mind. You're probably thinking about like these great feats of spiritual strength or something. But here's the crazy thing. Righteousness, the option of the opportunity to do righteousness happens in the everyday callings of your life. So we have we, we, we like to spiritualize stuff real hard. But let me tell you, when your child is getting on your last nerve, that's when you have the option to choose righteousness or not. When you have to forgive your spouse, that's when you have to choose righteousness. When your boss does that thing again, that's when you have to choose righteousness. Listen, it sounds so spiritual and lofty in the text, but in the calling of everyday life, that is when you have the opportunity to choose righteousness or not. I think when we look at this text, there's another temptation in it. It can be pietistic. And what that means, it, pietistic means that there's a spirituality that's just about you and Jesus. It's just you and Jesus. It's, it's only about you, just you and Jesus, y'all personal relationship. Look, we about that too, okay? But, but listen, imagine a world in which people are choosing to serve righteousness. Does that benefit other people? Does that solve tangible problems in this world? You know, as I, as I, as I thought about last week, I, I, there, there, I had pain in my personal life. There's, I see pain in the church. I see pain in the national discourse. And I'm like, doggone it. This is bad. I don't want to watch no, no video. I don't want to. Ah, just, it just feels overwhelming. And it's like, well, well, what is God's solution to these things? God's solution is that he uses everyday people in their actual callings, in their vocations to serve and to promote justice. So let's make, I'm sorry, I'm speaking lofty. Let me make it tangible. Let me make it, let me bring it down. (laughs) 
I know people in our community that have a ton of suffering. And when you ask the question, what is the cause of the suffering? You could be, you know, you know, smarty pants say sin. We'd be like, well, sure, sure. But like when, when you get down to the nitty gritty, well, I see there's educational problems. There's family problems. There's economic problems. There's gentrification problems. The, the problems go, there's a long list of problems. And it's like, so, so what is to be done by that? Well, beloved, when Christ has representatives in the schools, that's what can be done with it. When Christ has representatives who own businesses, when Christ has representatives who actually use the, their profit, not just to make a profit margin, but to serve those who need help. See, listen, when Christ has been spread abroad in the community and everybody in their unique vocation and their unique calling begins to, to, to use that calling and say, I'm going to use this to serve righteousness, then collective justice can happen. So I used to work at a bank, all right? And a bank, I don't know if y'all know this, you're supposed to sell loans. That's what you do, okay? That's what, that's, Merry Christmas, all right? Uh, so, and it, I had a quota. I didn't get more money, just a quota. Sell this many, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I remember sitting with people and them telling me their financial situation and me thinking, they do not need this loan. <laughs> they better not take this thing. And then that, listen, I'm telling, let's, let's make it plain. In that moment, <laughs> I can go, well, I can serve myself and get my quota, or I can give some solid advice and say, sir, you probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. Now, listen, listen, if everybody's doing that, yeah. and listen, we all have different degrees of influence. Even in our congregation, we have some who work retail, we got some on the city council, we got engineers, we got people who are scientists. Listen, if, if in our vocation we said we are going to serve righteousness, what are the ramifications of that? The cool thing is this is a win-win for us. We experience eternal life and justice gets done. Christ uses his church spread across society to heal the pain and fix the problems. One of the most common injustices in the early Roman Empire was infanticide. So they would have a children, particularly if, if, if the gender was female, they would just... Leave the child out in the wilderness because they wouldn't, they, they couldn't, like, uh, the, the, you, you wouldn't get money later as the child grew up and wouldn't be able to, to support you. That's a great injustice, yes? Now, eventually, infant, infanticide stopped being a thing in the Roman Empire. And the question is how? It's because individual Christian families would go and find these babies and take them into their home. And it happened over and over and over again. And to the society as a collective go, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. So, beloved, look at the opportunities to serve righteousness. We get eternal life and justice is served. Let's not grow weary in that, beloved. Let's experience eternal life not only for ourselves, but begin to offer it to those around us. That is what it means to live under grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. You have spoken to us so clearly and you give us so much to hope for, so much truth to cling to. Lord, I, I, I'm asking you, that by the power of the Spirit, that, that you would help us to present 
our whole selves to you so that righteousness can be done in our lives, in our family, in our communities, and in our society. Lord God, would you do this work in us? In Jesus' name, amen.